You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. I'm Jeff Schechtman. We're going to turn our focus today to education. It seems lately we've been talking about so many issues that concern education, but not education. All the things that surround the reality of what's going on in the classroom. Today we're going to talk about the classroom and we're going to focus on what Napa Learns is up to. The head of Napa Learns, Peg Maddox, is here in the studio with us. Peg, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for inviting me, Jeff. I always like coming here to talk to you about what we're doing. Well, it's always great to hear the exciting things that you're up to. First of all, in a general sense, talk a little bit about the past year. We've got one school year under our belt since we talked last and a little bit about what Napa Learns focus was this past year. What was accomplished and what you're happy about. So as you may know, we are really seed funders for innovation in teaching and learning. And so we've been focusing for the past five years, actually, on project-based learning. And we've been expanding the uh, support for uh, new tech network schools in Napa for the past three years. And last year, we added three more schools. I'll tell you about that in a second. But the whole uh, funding that we give to the district, which is about $500,000 to Napa Unified, um, is for the training and professional development of teachers, coaching, and software that the teachers use to develop their projects. So we last year, we had 9,000 students, K through 12, in 13 schools. So we have five elementaries. We have four middles, and Napa High, Vintage High, and New Tech High, and American Canyon High all are doing project-based learning all day long, every day. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get to a point, do you think, in this district, first of all, where project-based learning is basically all we do, that we know how successful it is, we know how well it works, and that should just become a standard part of the curriculum. It is really expected. It's now being called inquiry-based learning so that it can include all of the schools in the district. Uh, There are 31 schools, and those schools all do some form of inquiry-based learning. So we have international baccalaureate schools, Harvest, Mm -hmm. a couple of elementaries. We have the Artful schools, River and uh, Salvador. And so each school has selected a kind of brand or model that they adopt, but all of them are related to inquiry-based learning, which is kids learning through asking and answering questions versus lectures, worksheets, Mm -hmm. and tests, which are really boring. Right. And is it your sense, I mean, you you go to conferences and see what's going on around the country, the degree to which we have adopted that here in Napa Unified, are we ahead of the curve? Are we out in front of what a lot of places are doing? New Tech Network, um, which is a national and now international organization that was founded here, has about 200 schools. And they'll tell us that we're the only district that is really doing a district wide systemic change. So New Tech Network isn't in every school, it's only in 13, but the work that we're asking teachers to do is uh, pervasive throughout the district. With uh, The district has 18,000 students, so you'll see every child from kindergarten through 12th grade learning some kind of inquiry-based uh, mm-hmm. approach. Um, and they are much more engaged, and we have a very low uh, discipline problem here very high attendance, very high graduation, and a lot of that's attributed to the engagement of students in their learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly taking place on an experimental basis in other districts, and certainly a lot of charter schools are engaged in it, but to see it district-wide is, is really a cool thing. Well, and it takes, you know, the leadership. We have a superintendent and his staff who believe in it, a board who believes in it. Of course, it hasn't helped that we give them 500000 a year. This last year, we gave them two fifty only because we want to embark on some other initiatives, but... Um, they have to 
they have to provide a lot more than that um, for the for the program to be successful. So, for example, they added an extra period at the middle schools so teachers would have more time for planning. Mm-hmm. What's next in this? It, this is being adopted district-wide, as you say. The seed money Napa Learns and, and all of its contributors put into this. What's next? What are the other things that you're looking at for Napa Learns to do to get involved in now that this is, is taken hold? Well, as you may know, we have the California state standards, which are based on the Common Core, and we're seeing that the Common Core tests called CASP, California Assessment of Student Performance and Progress, um, the scores are going up, especially in English language arts, but they're not going up in math. And so last summer, our board decided to do uh, strategic planning and an investigation on what's next, just exactly as you said. And we did several um, study sessions with our board and trying to analyze what the big problems are with our graduates. As I said, 95% of the kids in all of our high schools go to college or community college or start a certification program. Only, uh, I'm sorry, 95% graduate. 71% of those kids do go on to post-secondary but only 30 to 40% complete anything, a two-year degree, a certification, wow. or college. And so then we did some workshops with some experts in the fall, and we found out that uh, there are three major reasons why kids aren't completing college. Um, and they're in different orders depending on which uh, college or which community you're in. But the first is math. So math is one of the biggest predictors of success or failure in post-secondary. And that's because the kids are not learning math in high school and then we investigated further and we found it's not they're not learning it in middle and elementary and it's not all the kids you have your honors kids you have kids who really get math but there's a 50 percent failure rate um, in some of our schools in terms of math achievement the other two areas by the way are money because kids don't have the money, they have to support themselves. And then the third area is social. So a lot of students are going to college that their family never did go to college before, first time in their family, and they don't really know how to survive college. Plus, they're not necessarily um, sure about what they're going to do and why they're in college in the first place. And so that's what we're, we decided to work on the math problem. Mm -hmm. What is your sense and, and from the research that was done, as to what where the core of that math problem is? Well, it's very interesting because our math scores used to be a little bit better, um, but we have changed to the Common Core, and the Common Core is all about inquiry-based math. It's about solving problems in five different ways. It's about it's okay to fail. It's about working together and collaborating on uh, solutions to problems. It's about math language. So this is all really good. This is things that kids need to be able to do in the real world, but um, we haven't adequately trained the teachers to do this, and they're used to their tests and worksheets. Now, just as an aside, the United States as a country is 40th in the world in terms of math achievement. And that's why we went to the Common Core, the state standards across this country, because when you looked at the items the kids were being tested on around the world and the curriculum in the United States, it didn't match. And if we look at places where the teachers have been trained in inquiry-based math, do we see better outcomes? Yes, we do. So this is what really got us interested. We found out that um, 
Napa Unified adopted a new curriculum for math two years ago called Bridges. And so Calistoga is looking into the same thing. That is they, According to an expert at Stanford University, Joe Bowler, it's the best curriculum for inquiry-based math. Unfortunately, not all the schools invested their own school site money in getting their teachers trained with consultants, but some did. So we went to visit in the spring. We went to visit Northwood Elementary School and Bel Air Elementary mm-hmm. School. And Bel Air is an international baccalaureate school. Northwood's test scores, and they have, they're a you know, higher poverty school, not, not one of the highest in the district, but they've got enough poverty. They have a 64% proficient and advanced in math, the highest in the district out of 21 elementary schools. And they attribute it to the way they're teaching. And what we saw those kids doing in that classroom, those classrooms, uh, was just amazing. And that's when we committed with board members to expand this. Right. So what this tells us that the inquiry-based math does work. It does work. It just has to be taught properly. Right. And a lot of it, it's just exactly what we had to do with project-based learning. We had to help the teachers transform the culture of their classroom and their mindset. So Joe Bowler at Stanford, who, by the way, we're having come to speak to 200 teachers in mm-hmm. August, says you have to have a growth mindset as a teacher and as a learner in order to do math properly, and that she believes anybody can learn to do math, including me, because I did not do very well in math at all. Many, many tearful nights in high school. <laughs> um, so it's teachers letting go of the need to control. The teachers have to let go of the finding the right answer. I heard a little fourth grader say, I just made a mistake, and so I'm building synapses in my brain, which was amazing to me. Wow. So the teachers have to completely change the way they talk to kids, the way they plan. And this curriculum includes all the things they need to do, but it's that mindset that it's okay for kids to fail. How difficult is that? How much resistance? Even when PBL first came into the district and spread, there was a lot of resistance. I mean, I talked about it here. There were a lot of teachers that had been in the system for a long time that just did it their way, and they really were not thrilled about changing. What are we finding with respect to changing the way they do math and really doing all these changes in attitude and culture and in teaching. Right. So with PBL, what we did was, and we're doing the same thing with math, we want to, teachers need to see it in action and know that it's having an impact in results because they finally tuned the way they teach and they don't want to just change um, based on a new new good idea that's come along. So with PBL, we, we went with the schools that really wanted to do it. And then the other teachers from other schools that resisted or weren't sure, they would do these learning walks, and they'd see it happening, and they'd see the kids engaged and the kids doing things they'd never seen kids do before. So for the math, we'll be doing the same thing. We'll have a demonstration school where the teachers um, can go and, and see this in action. And we've actually, because we know, we believe it's system change. It has to be school-wide change. We've adopted four schools in Napa to do this program with us Mm -hmm. next year. And we're going to use a really unique technology. We're going to use video technology called Swivel. It's a video uh, camera on an iPad on a robot that turns with the teacher. And we believe, the hypothesis is that when teachers receive video feedback of their language, their body language, their verbal language, um, the answers the kids give, and the way they ask questions, the teachers will be willing to change. And then we just have to give them a lot of coaching to help them practice the new skills. Mm-hmm. So that's what we'll be doing. And is this focused exclusively on math, or will it sort of bleed over into other areas as well? Good question. Um, I think we're going to focus definitely on math because we want the – these are our elementary schools because Napa mm-hmm. Learns always does preventive interventions, right. not uh, after the fact trying to fix things. Um, and so 
we believe that the thinking that the teachers um, use and deliver to the kids will be definitely um, will will roll over into some other areas. So, for example, um, not all these schools are project-based learning or IB or anything mm-hmm. else. They don't have a theme, and so these schools, the four that we're adopting, will have a math theme. But it'll it'll definitely spill over into all the ways the teachers interact with the children. And what is the plan in terms of the way in which it can be brought into the high school curriculum? Well, that's the interesting thing. We, we really need to do it in middle school first. Well, mm-hmm. not first, but um, what we're finding is that uh, the middle school teachers also struggle with this because they're subject matter experts. They know math, and they think they know how to teach it. So we're finding that if you don't help kids achieve more by sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, there's almost no hope for them. Now, mm-hmm. there is a program in Napa called Read uh, Math 180 that does help fix a lot of things for kids, but it doesn't fix their thinking. It fixes the mechanics the of mechanics, math. The mechanics, strictly. Right. So we're going to, like I said, we're, we'll start with the elementary, but we hope that um, math teachers will come to the workshop with Joe Bowler and uh, high school and, and middle school math teachers as well and get the idea that it's okay to let kids experiment and fail. Right. I mean, because it seems like the real problem would be, or the tragedy would be, to get these younger kids doing this in these four uh, pilot schools that you're talking about, and then suddenly they hit high school, and it's back to the old way. That's not going to be good for them, and it's not going to be good for outcomes. It's a really good point because what we have found with a study that the district did for us is the kids who don't do well in math, and they're in the poorer schools. I mean, we have schools that are 80%, 90% poverty in, Mm -hmm. in this town. They get tracked. So by sixth or seventh grade, they're still at a third grade level or a fourth grade level in math, and they never get out of it. So by the time they get to high school, and the district's quite aware of this, a lot of these kids are not ever going to take an AP class or an advanced math class. They'll take what's required to graduate from high school in California Mm because we have a pretty high um, completion rate for that. But they'll never, ever get out of it. So what happened with PBL could happen with this. Once we see, we know it's a long-term project, once we see these students coming out of inquiry-based classrooms and into middle school and high school, those teachers have to deal with that because you're going to have kids that really can discuss math problems and they're going to demand that they get taught the right way. So we're going to be following a fifth grade class from an elementary school next year into sixth grade. It's exactly what we did with uh, PBL. We did 6th, 7th, and 8th at the middle schools. So we expect that we'll do that with some of the feeder schools that these kids will be going to. Right, which begs the question on the other side of that, that by the you get the high schools changed at a certain point, the middle schools and the high schools changed, but you'll have kids that have come up not in those pilot schools mm-hmm. that have been doing it the old way and are going to face a whole new way once they get to middle school or high school. Maybe. It doesn't really happen <laughs> that fast, but yeah, it's a right. good point. No, it's a really good point. And, you know, like you asked earlier, does P, is there PBL in every school? There is. There's inquiry-based PBL projects. Uh, a lot of writing, a lot of speaking, a lot of presentations in all the schools. And you're seeing this up Valley and St. Helena and Calistoga as well. So it'll it'll be a slow change, but it's those kids that are in the tracks that are way behind are the, the ones we really want to see um, pre- prevent them from being in that track in middle school and high mm-hmm. school. And and by the way, um, there's there are studies that show that these kids will go right into adulthood behind mm-hmm. that math really is important not just for college but for many jobs that we have talk a little bit i want to drill down just a touch as, as to how this works how does the inquiry-based math work how do they look at problems that are fundamentally different than the way we're all uh, 
used to or programmed to? Well, they're not really fundamentally different problems, but it's the way they approach them. So we have this um, school, Northwood, um, that had this amazing second grade teacher, and we saw these 30 kids sitting on their floor watching their teacher in something called Number Corner. And she walked them through getting $2.25 for their allowance, and they all had pictures of money and they then they have mm-hmm. coins. So there's a lot of manipulatives. And she gave them the problem of they went to the store and they needed to buy pencils and the pencils were twenty five cents each. Now normally we would put that as, you know, two dollars and twenty five cents over, you know, divided by uh, seven pencils or whatever, twenty five. Um, but she did it where they could she said to them, Now that's the problem you go solve it. And they took little whiteboards and two at a time together, working together, they drew a bunch of pictures. It was okay to draw mm-hmm. coins. It was okay to count on your fingers. Some kids drew a number line where they went from the 225 backwards. There were eight different ways to solve that problem, and they were encouraged to solve them all the different ways that they thought of. Now, they were doing borrowing, but they didn't know it, which was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so then they explained how they did their problem to the teacher. And this is a master teacher that we're watching. She doesn't interrupt them even when she knows they're wrong and they're not going to get the right answer. And that's where uh, I saw it in second grade. I saw it in fourth grade where a, a kid said, uh-oh, halfway through the explanation, he said, I'm, I've got something wrong here. I should have done this. But, you know, I'm growing brain cells by doing mm-hmm. this. So the, they have many different ways of um, solving problems. They're allowed to make mistakes. They always have to say why they, what they learned mm-hmm. from making their mistake. And um, th- they use a lot of objects. They measure a lot of, you know, objects in the classroom. So it's really hands-on, and it's what they call conceptual math. It's thinking about the math right. and drawing it out. And to be honest, since I visited that classroom, when I've come up against a math problem, moving into a new house, I had to figure out a lot of different measurements. I started drawing the problem out as a drawing, as a mm-hmm. picture, before I ever started using numbers. So it's even helping adults. How will this work, do you think, or is there some evidence based on other places that have tried this? How does this work when the kids get to college? Well, again, depends on what track you're in. But right. what we have a problem with right now is that students graduating from, I'll just say Napa County schools, um, get to take their placement tests for the community college, and 90% of them need to take remedial, remedial math. math. It's incredible. And there's a lot of different problems there. But one of the problems is they're taking an algebra class, a test, three years after they've taken algebra. Mm-hmm. And so they don't remember it. So the college is revising all of the math programs. But the colleges are starting to realize that the most important math kids could probably learn today is statistics, practical, everyday statistics. And so some students will be able to not have to take, they'll take the placement test, but it'll be different. And it, they'll go right into a college-level math class. Um, so they everybody's going to have to take college in the general ed, in college, I mean, math. So hopefully the college teachers will start to get that this – this has to change for them as well because the students will be different. It is amazing, I suppose, to think about how long it's taken in a world where so much is disruptive to just begin to change the fundamentals of how math is taught. It's amazing, huh? Because I, you know, you remember, I remember, I, I didn't get it. when In algebra, there was step one and step two and step three, and I needed two A, B, and C before I could get to step three. And and we've known this is a problem for many, many years. And this company that did this curriculum, it's called the Math Learning Center there in Oregon, they've been doing this for 40 years, but very few districts adopted it. Hmm. 
now there's a whole you know kit with lots of activities for the teachers to do. What what is your sense personally as to why it's taken so long? Well, one problem is that um, forgive me, elementary teachers, but you know I'm right. Um, <laughs> I've been told, and I I've learned this that elementary teachers, for one thing, don't aren't very good at math themselves. They are among the lowest scoring teachers in math public schools across our country, but they're asked to teach math and English and science and social studies, and they don't know what they're doing. And it's it's easier to do a lecture on the board from my piece of paper that I have in my hand and then have the kids do these grueling, boring worksheets than it is to do this inquiry-based so math. Many and they, and they need to know how I to mean, do it. I mean, anybody that's had kids go through the system yeah. just I've seen so many thousands of those worksheets. Yeah, we used to call them purple passion sheets when they were mimeograph machines, remember? Right. Kids, kids but it smelled smell, so good. Yeah, they loved right. to smell them. Yeah, right. Kids wanted to go down to the office and pick up the purple passion sheets. So one thing that Joe Bowler does in this workshop on August 7th, we're going to be doing it at the Opera House, um, she spends a whole day on learning math with the math teachers. She doesn't tell, teach them how to teach the math. She has them become students for the whole day to understand what this growth mindset is, is all about. Making mistakes is okay. And she's had elementary school teachers cry because they feel like they can finally teach math. So if the first thing is opening up their minds that they can do this and get them to stop saying to their students, I was never good at math, so don't worry about it if you're not, and start really seeing these, these young minds uh, – grow and thrive and uh, amaze everybody. The other element in this equation is making sure the parents understand that something different is going on. Really good, really good point. I was hoping you'd bring that up because I actually talked to our banker in town and she's a banker and her husband is an engineer and they said they don't understand this new math. What can I do to help my student, my child? And I asked her what the child was trying to do. Well, the child was trying to find multiple ways to do a problem, and the parents were trying to teach them the right way. Right. And the There's child, only one way. There's only one saying, answer. But, but, but that's not what my teacher says. So I said to her, because I, you know, I think the schools have to do a better job of letting the parents experience this. So we'll be running some parent nights, not to tell them what this is, but to have them experience it. Instead of telling your child how to do the problem, ask your child how they're doing the problem and have them write it down and teach you. And that's probably what the parents can do best nowadays to, to, to help their kids with math. Now, don't get me wrong. The mechanics of math and the fluency of doing multiplication problems and all of that, that's still there. But that's not in the 90 minutes that kids have it for math and elementary, that's about 20 minutes. The rest of it is all understanding. How has technology eliminated the need for some of this? I mean, you know, we all learn multiplication tables, right? Kids going through school, I assume, still learn multiplication tables. But they also all have their phone right in front of them in which they could do all of that math. Right, and it's a, just a big debate. It's constantly a debate. Um, of course, it's more um, about where should technology come in and and will do a powerful, useful job. And where where do kids really need to uh, memorize memorize things? So um, in many many cases, these this, the activities these students are doing are not are not online. Some of them are, but uh, most of them are more um, sort of apps that they can manipulate numbers mm-hmm. with. Um, and in order to do some of those things, they actually have to have that fluency with multiplication and addition mm-hmm. and all of that and all of those kinds of things. Um, the other thing is that um, the 
student gets a choice in whether they want to use technology or not mm -hmm. uh, for problems. And some kids do love to memorize things and others just struggle with it. So um, that's, that's kind of the great debate in, in using technology. But they're still using it. How does this impact the kids that want to stay involved with math, that want to, you know, pursue STEM and have engineering desires, et cetera? How does it help them? Well, that's really that's a really good point because um, some kids do want to zoom ahead. And in the old days of worksheets, I used to uh, argue with a teacher when I was a teacher. Um, I taught gifted kids. Why does Tony need to do all hundred math multiplication qu answers questions? Because it gets harder and harder each row. Why doesn't he just do the bottom row? You know, because he can show you what he knows. Um, but but those kids can zoom ahead in this form of math because mm -hmm. they can go deeper. And the teachers need to encourage them to go deeper. And we had a math teacher say one of the days we were in the school to a, to a student, you're doing that, second grade, you're doing that problem with a fourth grade technique. And the other students really can't understand your thinking because you're going too fast. But you go ahead and do that, but I'm going to have someone else explain it to the class. So the teachers realize that these kids are going to go far far ahead. And, mm -hmm. and also, we've, we're introducing another program called CSTEM Robotics in Math, uh, Algebra, and Geometry for um, the regular Math 1 course that the kids have to take in high school. So we're investing in that. And a lot of those kind of kids will go into that program. Right. Talk about what that is real quick. It's really exciting. Uh, UC Davis has a program called CSTEM. And it's basically uh, a combination. It's, it's a whole year class taught by a regular math teacher. It is a whole year of algebra, geometry, coding, C++ coding, where kids learn how to move these robots that are actually, they're, they're round. They're like wheels, and they roll, and they solve problems. So imagine a big sheet on a table, and you have a moonscape. And the problem is you have to move this robot with a bunch of things he's carrying because he's got a bunch of uh, equipment and supplies from point A to point B, but he has to go around this mountain and through this lake, and he runs into obstacles. So for a 90-minute period, a student, students in groups of four, four will figure out the algebra needed to do that, the geometry needed to do that for the speed, for the angles, for the velocity. And um, then they do all the algebra, they do the geometry. Then they have to put it in code into the computer, which will speak to the robot and tell it what to do. And they fail 90% of the time. And they just keep going and going. But our American Canyon high school kids this year became first in the state at the UC Davis competition. Uh, of all the 1,000 kids that were there, they, they won the, f the first place. So it's really paying off. We have a lot of girls saying they're going to go into computer engineering, and it's really exciting. Very cool. Well, I thank you for coming in, Peg, and, and talking about all this and bringing us up to date on what really is the new math. You know, it used to be every time there was some new iteration, parents would say, I don't understand this new right. math. This is really new. Well, and if you want to learn more about it, Joe Bowler has a very easy book to read. It's really meant for a general audience, and it's called Mathematical Mindsets. And uh, we, it's very easy to read. Our board has read it, and it really helps you understand what's going on in our schools today. Peg Maddox, thanks so much for coming Thank in. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.